from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. What's the secret for carving a pumpkin? Meet the 73-year-old woman who has some surprising answers. Drought impact on the Mississippi River. It is showing that we have achieved record low water levels in a number of gauging locations along the Mississippi River. What that means for moving grain right now on that vital waterway and dryness in the Corn Belt. It's been a, a tough year here. We, uh, we've missed a lot of the rain. What our IED Harvest Tour found in Iowa right now on Agri. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. We're past the midway point when it comes to harvest, but many states continue to face extremely dry conditions. Case in point, Iowa, where over the last several weeks, drought conditions have worsened. Taking a look at the latest drought monitor, it shows all of the state is facing some sort of dryness with 84% of the state in the moderate to exceptional category. That's a 26% increase over the previous week. Now those dry conditions also helping farmers bring in the harvest. Right now, 59% of the state's corn crop has been harvested. That's 17% ahead of average. For soybeans, 88% of the crop is out of the ground. That's a whopping 20% ahead of the five-year average. And that soybean harvest in Iowa is at a near record pace. Agnes Michelle Rook headed to the field to find out what farmers are seeing on yield monitors as we continue our IED Harvest Tour. The I-80 Harvest Tour is brought to you exclusively by Case IH. Case IH equipment is designed, engineered, and built by farmers. See their stories at builtbyfarmers.com. Clinton, in October, the USDA projected a 200 bushel per acre corn yield for Iowa, which is off four bushels from last year, while soybean yields were pegged at 58 bushels per acre, down five bushels from 2021. However, as we found from the field, yield reports are all over the place, which may put those estimates in question. Yield results have been highly variable in Iowa this harvest season, especially from west to east. And the West farmers like Marty Ellis face below normal moisture for the second season. It's been a, a tough year here. We, uh, we've missed a lot of the rain. Ellis says while corn yields in his area are higher than expected, they'll still be down from 2021, especially on the lighter ground. I think we're probably going to maybe hit this 180 in here. I was thinking we're going to be 150 or less, but I think it's a little better than I thought. Even his best ground, though, will be off his farm APH. I really think that's going to go 200 fairly easy, it looks like. It's pretty pretty stable, pretty solid, low ground, no big hills, and it, it really looks good. So I'm pretty sure that'll go over 200. That's my best guess right now. And with only a few showers in August for soybeans, yields will be down from the 70 bushels per acre he harvested in 2021. In 50 to 60, maybe a few going a little bit above 60, but that's going to catch most of us. That's just been a lack of, of timing for moisture. Farther east in north central Iowa, Grant Woodley says he picked up some of the key rains in August that Ellis missed for his soybeans. We were fortunate they were able to catch a couple two-inch rains, uh, two two-inch rains in the second and fourth week of August that really saved the crop. As a result, Woodley says his bean yields were a pleasant surprise. I would say probably not record-breaking, but uh, definitely trend line, trend line bean yields. Woodley was just getting started on corn, but yield reports in his area were very strong. Neighbors have been surprised again. I'd say probably 
uh, 200 plus bushels, uh, some as high as 250, 260. So uh, pretty fortunate, I think. And that was even with some tar spot pressure plus heat stress during pollination that shaved off the top end corn yield. We saw a tip back a little bit, I think not as much maybe as last year. Uh, but definitely we did see some ears not fill all the way for sure. Both Woodley and Ellis say the quality of the crop has been excellent though, especially the corn. I think we'll be around that normal 58.9. I'm, I'm guessing they'll be somewhere in there, maybe a pinch lighter. With the open weather, the crop is dried down fast, resulting in very little drying. In fact, Woodley is more concerned about corn dropping below 15% moisture and hurting the quality and longer term about the lack of recharge for next season. We're going to need some serious moisture uh, to get subsoil moisture recharged and, and to be able to start off next year on a good foot. Even with the stronger yields in the east, it doesn't look like that will make up for some of the below average crops in the west. As a result, some farmers think USDA may have to come down slightly on Iowa yields in the November crop production report. All right, thanks, Michelle. An update on efforts to move some of that grain out of the country along a very low Mississippi River. The Soy Transportation Coalition saying conditions along the river remain very concerning. Executive Director Mike Steenhook tells us low water conditions are putting limits on channel depth and width. Now Steenhook says for every one foot of decreased water depth, 5,000 fewer bushels of soybeans are loaded into each barge. So a two to three foot reduction like the one in place now means up to 15,000 fewer bushels. The barge industry is continuing to maintain a maximum of 25 barges connected together along the lower part of the river compared to the almost 40 barges at a time it would normally push. AccuWeather says the low water levels could lead to economic losses of $20 billion. Looking at the latest numbers coming in from the U.S. Geological Survey, it is showing that we have achieved record low water levels in a number of gauging locations along the Mississippi River, stretching from New Madrid, Missouri, downstream to Greenville, Mississippi. But there's a bit of a bright spot. The river gauge in Memphis shows the river has seen a foot and a half increase in water depth over the past four days. Get ready for another blast of colder air to return to the northern part of the country. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with more. Andrew. That's right. That colder air is now invading once again across parts of the northern portions here of the country, especially across the Great Lakes area. Getting another taste of the 30s uh, heading back in after a warm uh, a second end uh, to the weekend here from October. 33 up into Green Bay this morning, 37 in the South Bend. It's going to be 37 over into Detroit as well, and we're going to be dealing with some of those overnight lows into the 30s across the northern parts of the country here over the next few days. We're also watching a deepening low pressure system, kind of a, a panhandle system here that's going to develop here across to Texas, and that's going to lead to flooding concerns across parts of central and eastern Texas. We're talking places like Dallas and Houston, even dealing with the potential here for some pockets of heavy rain as we close out this week and begin this Halloween weekend. The other thing we're watching is a dip in the jet stream as we head into the first few days of November. That's going to lead with it an active pattern setting up to parts of the Pacific Northwest, something that we will keep our eyes on. And we know that many of you are putting in long hours right now from sunrise to sunset to bring in the harvest. That's the case right now in Kalita, Ohio. This photo courtesy of Bob and Karen Sarka a spectacular sunset as the grain cart gets loaded. I'll learn your Ag Day forecast coming up. The Los Angeles Port Chief says a labor deal with workers is still likely, but months away. The deal involves 
22,000 dock workers. Port of Los Angeles Executive Director Gene Soroka says it may take several months to reach an agreement, but he does say that disruptions while negotiations continue are unlikely. The head of one multinational food corporation says he expects the food industry to be hit with higher inflation and more supply issues. Miguel Patricio is the CEO of Kraft Heinz. This week, his company reported its third quarter earnings, which beat earnings and revenue estimates. The news coming just days after the company warned about further price increases. The CEO noting challenges due to shortages of raw materials and inflation, which he believes will continue into next year. We've already increased the prices that we were expecting this year, but I, I'm predicting that next year, you know, inflation will continue. And as a consequence, we'll have other rounds of, of price increases. Now, during the second quarter, Kraft Heinz raised its prices by nearly 12.5%. A possible breakthrough in efforts to track a deadly bird flu. For the first time, scientists were able to track the movement of a wild bird known to be infected with highly pathogenic avian influenza. Now it began when researchers released a tagged bird back into the wild, a lesser scop into the Chesapeake Bay area of Maryland. They didn't know it was infected until after tests came back following the bird's release. So they watched it closely. Now they found it was moving shorter distances compared to other birds. Researchers also identified four instances when it had close contact with non-infected birds also being tracked. They say this shows that despite reduced movements, there were still chances for potential transmission. And they say the infected bird also died three days after release. Officials are hoping they can use their findings as they develop disease mitigation strategies. It was a mixed day for grains. Livestock were mostly higher. Michelle Rook returns with a look at the day's market action coming up next. And later, before you carve up your pumpkin, some advice from one woman who is social media savvy and has some priceless pumpkin hacks. Soybeans are trading near highs for the week thanks to renewed strength in crude oil and weakness in the dollar. Michelle Rook is back with more about the markets right now. Wednesday's market closes mostly higher in livestock mixed in the grains. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing joining us with analysis. And Brian uh, really seemed to be influenced in the grains and most of the commodities sector by outside markets, especially that big pullback in the dollar. You've got two things going on. You've got a big pullback in the dollar, then you've got the energy markets recovering. And that seemed to give prices a pretty strong boost overall. We had beans up double digits this morning, but they gave it back toward the close. Very typical to the harvest season. Same thing with corn up a nickel, finished a little weaker. Uh, yet one would argue the bulls got to be happy. We're not seeing big export activity. And yet here we were at the same price in corn we were six weeks ago. And now yeah. we're starting to see in parts of the country some real basis plays. Um, the ethanol grind on the rise for the fourth week in a row best level of grind for several weeks. Um, so we're starting to see the demand business pick up. And I have to think the end user is going to take a look at their needs and start more, more aggressively buying harvest that's getting behind the crop pretty quick in some areas. So what do you think about the dollar? We took out 110. Do you think that we are starting to roll that market over? The technicians certainly would think so because that 110 level that day we put in a what's called a bearish key reverse at the top of a market, kind of a big signal. The market dropped off, rallied back, couldn't take out that 110. 
now dropped off to the point where it took out the previous low. Therefore, you have a series of lower highs and lower lows. That, by definition, is the start of a downtrend. That ought to fire up the bulls a little bit more. If the dollar weakens, that's been kind of the 800-pound girl in the back of the market has been the dollar. So that should be positive for the commodities. Will it bring the fund managing money back in? Well, we hope so. But you look, take a look at since the dollar peaked, look what the livestock market has done. Sure. Look at the way corn is held, beans are holding. I, I think the money's there. It's buying the dips. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian Jordy with Total Farm Marketing. We have more Ag Day coming up. To discuss marketing strategies, call 800-334-9779. Ag Day is brought to you by Farm Shop MFG. Did you know that 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joining us here looking at, uh, well, something we haven't talked about in a while, which is too much rain in parts of the southern plains and in Texas. Yeah, that's what we're watching for. Central and eastern Texas uh, could be inundated with some pockets of heavy rainfall just as we turn that corner into the holiday weekend, Friday into Saturday. And again, as we look at this flooding potential here, we're looking at Friday for some pockets of heavy rainfall across parts of central Texas. Could even get into parts of Dallas as well as we'll be watching the potential here. Proven some active weather, some strong to severe thunderstorms that could develop across the parts of the central portions there of Texas. And then as we head on into Halloween weekend, Saturday, maybe even lingering into parts of Sunday, uh, we'll be watching the potential here for some heavier rainfall working its way across the eastern coast there of Texas, places like uh, Dallas, Houston, even upwards across uh, northern Louisiana, as well as parts of uh, Arkansas could be dealing with at least the potential here for some pockets of some heavier rainfall. In fact, look at the precipitation here throughout this weekend and the early start of next week would not be surprised if some locations pick up anywhere from two to four inches. Maybe an isolated pocket of a five incher is certainly possible as well. And there's a wintry side to this system on the back side of that uh, colder air across parts of the mountains up across uh, Colorado there. They're going to be looking at uh, some snowfall anywhere for upwards of a three to six feet across parts of the upper portions there of the mountains. Uh, let's walk through the future radar here as we go throughout the, this Thursday. Again, we'll be watching that deepening low pressure system developing across the parts of the Rockies. And then as we go on into the start of this uh, weekend here into Friday, we'll be again watching that low pressure system developing and working its way through parts of central Texas. And again, at times that's going to produce with it uh, some heavier rainfall throughout the parts of Texas. Meanwhile, high pressure is going to dominate much of the Great Lakes Midwest and northeastern coastlines. Walking through the jet stream as we finish out this week here. Again, we're going to see kind of a more zonal pattern taking shape throughout much of the country here. A little bit of a dip in the jet stream where that low pressure system is situated. And then as we begin November, we're going to be watching a deep trough trying to develop across parts of the Pacific Northwest. And that's going to bring with it the potential for several waves of energy to get going across to parts of Washington over towards Oregon over into Montana. Temperatures this afternoon cooler north, a little bit warmer off to our south. Let's look across the country. Let's take a look a little bit closer to home. Park Falls, Wisconsin, sun and clouds, high 53 degrees. Going over to Crestview, Florida, high temperature 76 degrees, sunny and warm. And Crabtree, morning sunshine, afternoon showers. It's amazing what a little rain can do for pasture conditions. We have an update from the Southern Plains coming up next.
And later, the 73-year-old pumpkin carving consultant who's going viral with some tips you may not have thought of when it comes to pumpkins. rain in the plains over the past couple of days and that's helping ranchers in states like Oklahoma right now. Daryl Peel of Oklahoma State University says any rain is good given the current situation. He says it will help wheat to come up and start growing. And Peel adds some of the cool season grasses may be able to utilize the moisture a little bit. But you have to recognize at this time of the year we're not going to grow a huge amount of forage or certainly we're not going to make a lot more hay so it helps. It certainly may help us next year or down the road, but uh, in the short run, it has a limited benefit for a lot of producers. Updating the markets, Peel says last week, for the first time since July, the year-over-year -year feeder cattle numbers were actually down in Oklahoma. Placements in the month of September were down 4%. That's the most significant decrease we've had in over a year. And that uh, and marketings were 104% of last year as expected. Uh, so the on-feed total was below year earlier levels for the first time this year. So, you know, again, we've seen uh, unusually large placements for several months as cattle were marketed early because of the drought. Now we think probably we've come to the end of that. We'll see going forward, uh, but it looks like we'll start to see these, these uh, feedlot numbers tighten up significantly. It's a common but very contagious eye infection for cattle, and researchers are working to unlock its secrets. USDA Agricultural Research Service and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln scientists sequenced and compared the genomes of a collection of bacterium known to cause pink eye in cattle. Now they found they consisted of two major genotypes. They were able to identify DNA differences between those genotypes. In addition, they found substances that can potentially be used as targets to control the disease. Cattle pink eye can cause redness, itchiness, pain, and discomfort in the eyes of affected animals. Severe cases can result in blindness and cause weight gain problems in calves. To read more about this research, make sure you check out drovers.com. Coming up, we celebrate all things pumpkin, from the top producing states to even some top tips on how to carve it up, next in the country. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. What is this time of year without a pumpkin? Yesterday was even National Pumpkin Day, and what better way to celebrate than with some pumpkin facts. Now this chart from USDA's Economic Research Service breaks it down. About 40% of pumpkin acres are in just a few states. By acreage and weight, Illinois is consistently the nation's largest pumpkin producer. Now last year, the state produced 652 million pounds. That's more than a quarter of total U.S. pumpkin production and more than the next five states combined. Unlike all other states, most of Illinois pumpkins are used for pie filling and processed for other foods. Pumpkins from the other states are primarily used to decorate or carve. And that leads us to how to carve it. A 73-year-old woman is going viral on TikTok for her top tips. Barbara Costello says you should carve your pumpkin from the bottom instead of the top. Use a hand mixer for quick and clean seed removal and trade in those carving tools 
for cookie cutters in a pinch. Adding a little Vaseline around the cut edges will prolong its life, and if you want it to smell tasty, pour some cinnamon in. Those are all pretty clever. I learned something there. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agdam, Clinton Griffiths, have a great day out in the farm country.